Good morning. Okay, this morning, the message is titled, Entitled. And I realize that's maybe not a topic that we usually talk about in church. <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, we, we would hit prayer, we'd hit, you know, love, peace, sin, but not usually entitlement. But as I studied this, I really, I, I begin to enjoy the study so much, and I hope that you enjoy it this morning as well. So we're going to talk about entitled. So let's start with the meaning of entitled. We're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at how we usually see entitlement. And then we're going to talk about what God says about it. We're going to look into the scriptures and find out. So the definition of entitled is having a right to certain benefits or privileges. And this is according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It's also having or showing a feeling of entitlement. It's believing that you have a right to those privileges. It's also spoiled. And I think that's probably how we think of entitled or entitlement. We see that people um, want something that maybe they aren't really entitled to, something that they don't have a right to. So the, I also looked up the definition of entitle. The first one was the definition of entitled. Entitle is to give a title to, to designate to furnish with proper grounds for seeking or claiming something. So the way that I think about this is maybe a car title or a house title. It's in your name. You have the right to it. It's yours. So a synonym, the synonyms for entitle is authorize, privilege, or qualify. So if you have a car title, it's in your name, are you authorized? to have that car? Yes. If, you're, if you have the title to a car, are you privileged to use it? Yes. And are you qualified to use it? Yes, it's in your name. And so sometimes I think we look at entitlement and we think, well, that person is, is being entitled. They are, that's not right. And that's because they don't actually have the rights to the thing that they're trying to be entitled to. They don't have the rights to it. But if they have the rights to it, then it's theirs and they can use it. So let's see what God says to see if we're entitled. So Psalm 103.2, well, let's start in verse 1, actually. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Those benefits are titles. Those benefits are things that we are entitled to. So it says all his benefits, which indicates to me there's more than one. I'll tell you there's quite a few of them. So let's keep reading. In verse 3 it says, Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. There's four right there in two verses. And it goes on. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I'll take that. <laughs> the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. 
He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And those are to us. He's slow to anger from what we do. He's merciful and gracious to us. These are benefits. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So we're forgiven. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over and it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, hearing the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his, dis of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So one of the things I noticed in here in the list of benefits is verse 18 talks about the qualifications to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his covenant to do them. So there's something here that we have to qualify to for in order for it to be a benefit to us. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says... For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So that yes and that amen there, they're two different things. Yes means, I looked this up in the, um, in the Strong's Concordance, so it's the original. Verily, certainly, even so. It says it's a primary article of strong affirmation, yes. A yes with an exclamation point. Amen means firm, trustworthy, surely, and so be it. In a statement, you might say, let it be so. Someone once said, I didn't think of this, but someone else had said that it's like a rubber stamped, marked, approved. And everything that comes across God's desk that we've asked him for, that's his promise, he says yes and amen. Yes, and so be it. So if we have that approved, why don't we see that more often? Well, that goes back to the qualifications, for which, which, remember, was a synonym for entitle, to authorize privilege or to qualify. If, it's, if it, it is approved, but we still have to meet the conditions to get it, and all of the conditions must be met. In 2 Corinthians 7.14, we get an example of this. It's God speaking, and he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So if we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek his face, and if we turn from our wicked ways, if we do all four of those, then he will hear us. He will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. So let's also turn to Matthew 6, 26, 25 through 31. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass in the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the qualification in there for all the benefits is, is we're to take no thought. And then also verse 33, which says, seek first the kingdom. So we qualify for those verses. We qualify to not have to worry about it, to know that God will take care of us. We qualify by taking no thought for the worries of the day but in putting our trust in Christ and seeking first the things that he would have for us. Another verse that contains a lot of benefits, we'll look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 13. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. We're going to talk about inheritance a little bit more in a little bit. Being predestined according to the purpose in him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So if it's not covered already in the list of things that you know about, if it's good, if it's a blessing, if it's from God, we already have it. God's promised right here in the scripture. So there is a list that it's basically just there's a list of benefits. There's a list of curses for disobedience, and it's in Deuteronomy 28. I want to look just at the benefits today, and we'll talk about why we're not going to look at the, at the curses. But in benefits, it says, Now it shall come to pass, and this is verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So right there is your qualifications. It says, if you're diligently obeying the voice of the Lord, if you observe carefully all his commandments. And in that second verse, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So what happens if we qualify? Well, verse two says, uh, verse three says, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Well, if you don't have flocks, if you don't have land, well, what this is talking about is your substance. This is what you work for. This is what provides you income and provides you the things that you need. So that still applies to you. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to, to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and you walk in his ways, then all people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain in your land, to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Now, he's not saying that borrowing is wrong. What he's saying is you're going to have enough that you won't have to borrow. And the Lord will, meet, will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So this is where it starts to go into disobedience. So there's, we had 14 verses that were on obedience and what the blessings are, the benefits, the entitlements, the things that we are entitled to. 
But now we're going to go into disobedience. And I'm not going to get into this too much, but I do want to read one verse, the next verse, 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So this is from the Old Covenant, because at this time, Jesus had not yet come, and there had to be judgment. There had to be something that made things right. And this is the way that God made things right, is that there were things that would come upon people who were not obeyed. But we're going to see what happens uh, to change all of that. So let's go to Genesis 15. In verse 1, we'll read 1 through 10, and then we'll skip down to 17. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So he's saying to Abram, I'm your reward. God is our reward. And that applies to us as well. Your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So Abram's saying, this is my problem, Lord. And that might not be your problem. Maybe you have a different problem. But you're coming to the Lord and you're saying, Lord, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to fix this for me? And so we'll go into verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. That inheritance, again, goes back to those same benefits. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And it came to pass when the sun went, we're going, we're skipping ahead to verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So he's saying, I'm making this covenant with you. This is how you're going to know that you're going to receive the inheritance. Well, I don't know about you. I might be able to grab some bread and feed, feed some pigeons, maybe catch a few. But I don't know where to find a three-year-old cow. I don't know where to find a goat. Uh, so what am I going to do? How, how's that going to work for me? Well, God has a plan. And the reason that I know that this is for me, that this is about me, is because Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Heirs. That's what happens when you get an inheritance. You're the heir. So this does apply to us today. 
So in Galatians 13, 14, just back up a few verses. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So all those things in Deuteronomy 28, the, the blessings that were due us, those were all in effect as long as we didn't break the covenant, as long as we were faithful to believe and obey. But guess what? We broke it. <laughs> I broke it. So that's why God sent Christ. He sent Jesus to come and pay that price for me so that I don't have to get those, that disobedience, those curses from the disobedience. So this is the new covenant. It's a better covenant. And what that means is I'm free from the penalty of what my sin would bring. I'm free from the things that I actually deserve. But I still need to qualify if I want to get the blessings. So now I want to look at Matthew 20, verse 1. This is, this is going to help us to reset a little bit to start thinking like God thinks. It's a little different than how we would probably think about things. So starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go out into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, and have borne the burden, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. So in this scripture, what I see is a generous person, a generous employer, who is providing work for people. So in this scripture, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Jesus is speaking, and he chose this story. Now, whether it's a real story or it's a story that he's using to employ uh, and explain what he wants people to understand, he still chose it, and he doesn't correct anything in it. 
So a couple of things I see. In verse 4, he said, whatever is right, I will give you. He's telling us that if I give, if I want to give something equal to somebody else, this person worked eight hours for it, this person worked one hour for it, and I want to pay them the same, it's, it's still right. Because the first group agreed to it. The first group said, "That's I will do that. But the last group, they get the same thing. God says it's right. Well, sometimes we wouldn't think it was right. He also said in verse 8 that the last group goes first. Now, he could avoided, have avoided all this if he had just started it the other way. If he had sent those people away, paid them, left, they would never even know that other people got the same as them. But he doesn't. And I think that's a principle for us to know that when somebody is getting a benefit from a generous God, that we need to be happy for them. That we need to not be judging them and thinking, well, we deserve more. I should get more than them. That's not what God's saying here. Verse 11, he made them equal. God is wanting to make everything equal. He's wanting to make people that he loves equal. He wants to bring people in and bless them to the utmost degree, the most that he can. In verse 13, he did you no wrong. I did you no wrong. There's no wrong here. It's not wrong. In verse 15, are you envious because I'm generous? If you've been working for any length of time, worked more than one job, you've probably had a not-so-generous boss. What's it like working for a non-generous boss? It's no fun. You're having to fight for everything. But if you work for a, gener a generous boss, even if he's not being generous to you, even if your boss, even if she's not being generous to you, at that moment, they're a generous person. So don't you think you're going to receive some of their generosity at some point? I think so. So there are a lot of examples that we could look at about this. I thought of several. I'm not going to go into all of them, but as I was looking at this, I was thinking, we look at things and we see where people are entitled, either because they actually do have the title or because maybe they don't have the title but are, pre are pretending that they should have it. So in Adam and Eve, they were entitled to all the trees in the garden except for one. So what do they do? They want the one. And it's not just them. We do the same thing. Ananias and Sapphira, they were entitled to all of the money from their land that they sold. But they said that they had given it all to the church, but they didn't. They held some back. And they paid for that with their lives. Abraham and Lot, at one point there was so much, they were living in abundance, that they had to actually split up because the land couldn't take it anymore. It was too much. And so Abraham said to Lot, you choose the land. So Lot looks around and he says, oh, that's the best land over there. I see lots of, lots of value there. I'm going to choose that. And Abraham said, okay. And so they split. Well, guess what? Abraham still lived under the benefits of God. And Lot, his heart turned. David and Goliath, that's a great story. There's an entitlement that Goliath thinks he has because he's big and he's strong. 
But David sees through that, and he says, no, I'm a child of God. And nobody expects that from him because he's the delivery boy. He's supposed to just give the stuff to his brothers, give the food to his brothers, and come back. He's not out there to fight. He's not a warrior. But he says, but I know that God has blessed me, that I have benefits, and I am entitled to things because I know God. And Goliath doesn't have that. He's not entitled to those things. Haman and Esther and Mordecai. There's a lot in there to unpack if you want to go there. But let's go to the prodigal son, and we'll see it one more time. In Luke 15, 11 through 32, it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to his house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you have never given me a young goat that I may make, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So do you see the entitlement in this story? At first it starts out with the younger son. He says, my father hasn't died yet, so I'm not entitled to an inheritance, but give it to me anyway. And the father does. The father loves his son. He splits it between both sons. They both get their inheritance early, and he saves just enough for himself to live on. So, because some of it is still, he doesn't know how long he's going to live, so he's going to keep some of that for himself. But, so the, so the younger son goes off, and he lives the way that he wants to, and he finds himself in terrible conditions, because things always go bad when we're trying to do it our own way. 
So he decides, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'd rather go back and work for my dad because at least things are good there. I would have the privilege of at least getting the things that workers get. So he goes back, and the father has such compassion on him. One of the benefits of the father is forgiveness. One of the benefits of our Father God is forgiveness. And so he begins to shower that forgiveness and that love and that mercy on that son. So then it switches the entitlement to the older brother who says, nah, I don't want to. I don't want to be happy for my brother. I don't want to be excited to have him back. I don't want to participate in that. And I think the lesson here is that we need to be gracious for the things that we have and what God has done for us, what the Father has done for us. And then we also need to partake in other people's blessing. Go to the party. There's cake there. <laughs> Go to the party. Enjoy. Sometimes we need to realize that it's, it's not about us, but it's okay, because God's going to show his generosity to us too. So there are these conditions all throughout Scripture, and I hope when you read a story, you start to look for where's the entitlement, and do they deserve that? Is it something that they really have a title to, or is it something that maybe they don't? So also look for the requirements that's in there. If you want the blessings, there's a lot of them in there, and they're good. They're so good, but we need to qualify for those. And if you want a life hack, because everything's about the life hack, right? So a life hack, a shortcut, maybe it's a master key um, for some of you that want to think of it that way. I found a scripture passage that has the master key for how to unlock all the blessings. It's in Matthew 22, 36 through 41, and it says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now that sounds hard. I never said it was going to be easy. I said it was the key. <laughs> so with God, we know that all things are possible. It says with man, this might be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If we love God, we will always be doing what he's telling us to do in that moment, and that will qualify us for those benefits. And if we love our neighbor, and we appreciate the fact that God has done so much for us, that he's forgiven us, that he's brought us in, he's made us free, then we can be appreciative for someone else, for the brother that comes in. Maybe we've been serving the Lord for 40 years, and another person comes in, and they, they've been here five minutes. But God wants to bless them. And we want to be okay with that. We want to be excited about that because God is excited about that. God wants to make them equal to all of us. He wants to bless them to the extent that he's blessed all of us. But one more thing I want to point out in this scripture. The Father. The Father says, it is good that my son is home. It is good. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. The Father's heart is for both of his sons to be blessed. 
it's right. So today, I noticed, I didn't know how to wrap this up, but the songs that we sang today were so amazing for this. Worthy of it all. It says that God is worthy of it all. He has a benefit from us. He's entitled to it. He's entitled to our praise because he is worthy of it all. But also we sang, Who You Say I Am. And one of the lines was, Who the sun sets free is free indeed. That is a benefit, and that's the first benefit. So all of this hangs on whether you come in and you accept Jesus as your Savior, the one that can make you free. So I don't want to miss this opportunity to ask if there's anyone here that hasn't received the gift of Jesus, who hasn't put their faith in Jesus Christ and qualified to start living this kind of life. So if there's anyone here, I'd like to pray for you. I think pastor will come up and pray for you. If there's anyone here, just come up. I would be glad to pray for you. You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to get the microphone. I'll just pray for you. Is there anyone? Okay. Well, there, I know that there will be people listening to this by video, and if there are, it's the greatest thing that you can do to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can begin to qualify for all the other blessings that he has for you. So I encourage you to reach out to your local church, your pastor, and ask them how that you can be saved. And with that, I will turn it back over to Pastor.